Typically, you don't need to take a big vacation or throw a giant celebration to tell your spouse you love them. In reality, it's those simple, everyday interactions or compliments that can go a long way to strengthen the relationship you have with your spouse. I'm a words guy, affirming words guy. If Dina says, thank you for working on that fence, or thank you for taking care of this, or thank you for loading the dishwasher, that's, that's like fuel for me for the next day or two. It just really, really goes a long way. Well, we want to affirm you. Great answer. Thank you. Yes. That does amazing. You do a great job, Good John. Job. Yeah, so I'm John Fuller, and you're hearing from Greg and Aaron Smalley. They lead our marriage team here. And uh, the two of you, I appreciate your kindness. Uh, thank you. You've really shared so much in these podcasts about ways to help your mate feel loved. What does the research show, uh, Greg or Aaron, about the top things that people really want from their spouse that make a difference. I think it's exactly what you were talking about. It's not the big, huge things. I'm sure Aaron wouldn't turn down a new diamond ring or a new SUV or something. But a firming <laughs> smile from her on that. <laughs> but the truth is that it really is the little things. Yeah. Like I know that that when when Aaron is being really playful with me, Funny enough, that that's one of the best ways that she shows me love. There, there's something about when she's just joking around and being goofy. The other night, we were just laying in bed watching, I don't know, whatever, whatever show we'd recorded, and Aaron started doing this impromptu, just commentary on what <laughs> what we were watching in this crazy voice, and and it got me into it. And now we're mocking the show and just being <laughs> funny. And and it's just there's a way in which that just so draws me, yeah, so close and, and near to her when she's doing that. I have got to agree, Aaron. You yeah, want to say versus something? I love it when Greg pursues me emotionally, hmm. or I love it. I love written words of affirmation just mean the world to me. And I like spoken words of affirmation too, but I love written words of affirmation. And so when he does that, I mean, wow, it just fills me and motivates me. And I can remember one time I was in the middle of just a crazy season and I believe I was finishing off a book and I didn't recognize that anybody knew what I was doing because I was kind of holed up in my office and, you know, kind of by myself. And I will never forget, Greg brought me a card um, that he had written in and just said, I want you to know, I see what you're doing. I see your commitment to finishing well and on and on. And then he bought me a gift card. And so I love gifts as well. So in combination, I mean, I just sat there and wept as I read oh. it and was like, why am I crying? But it meant so much to me that he saw me. Yeah, that's really good. And thanks for listening to the Loving Well podcast. We're going to end right there. No, actually, we're going to continue on. <laughs> we have a lot <laughs> more to Greg cover. And some but alone time. These are the simple things, the little things that just take a little thought, a little action, either to say or do something. And it really does make a difference. Let's go ahead and hear part of a conversation now that uh, Jim Daly and I had with Pastor Kevin Thompson. He shared why it's so important to be uh, outward focused in marriage. How do we assess the partnership role in our own marriage? How do we see that and score it, I guess? Yeah, if you would have told me, so Jenny and I have been married 21 years, right? If you would have told me 20 years ago uh, about this idea of partnership, I would have been like, well, that's kind of cold. That's kind of, you know, what's the point of Sounds that? Sounds like a business deal. No, that's exactly right. right. But actually at this point, this is the area of marriage that actually excites me the most from the standpoint of it's so overlooked, and yet there's such potential within it. And, and so, yes, partnership does talk about the idea of just managing the household and raising the kids and making the money. But I think it's far more than that. 
I think it's, it's this idea that every single day there's somebody in my life that wakes up and thinks, how can I make his life better? And how can I help him create the life that he desires to have? That's what partnership ultimately is about. How can I make her dreams come true? Mm. So literally, I get this picture of Jenny and I standing back to back, and I'm scanning the horizon 180 degrees looking for threats and opportunities. And then she's doing the thing, same thing. And so immediately, my vantage point is broadened because of Jenny. There are things that she takes care of that I don't have to worry about in any way. We laugh all the time. For whatever reason, with our children, I take care of the ears, she takes care of the teeth. So I have a daughter with Down syndrome who has ear problems. So I always take her to the ENT, always, no questions asked. Jenny always does the dentist and orthodontist. Have no idea how that happened. It just kind of happened. And, and, and we, we reevaluate it on occasion. Is this working for you? But it's just life is easier. I don't have to worry about teeth. Jenny's got the teeth. I got the ears. <laughs> and, and that compounds in every aspect of life. And, and I think in marriage, in a strong partnership, a strong partnership will literally divide your weaknesses and multiply your strengths. Mm. Think about that. If I'm weak in something and Jenny is strong, well, she gets to take the lead in that area, and my weakness is covered up. It's downplayed. It's diminished. Mm. If I'm strong in an area, Jenny's strength can now multiply my impact and what's going on, how I can go uh, about it. Even, even in writing books, she's a tremendous editor. I'm, I'm a horrible editor, right? Uh, my son, the other day, he was diagramming sentences, and he said, Dad, can you help me with this? This is, this is, this is homeschooling Run. in the midst of COVID, right? And I said, buddy, I can't do that. And, and he goes, but you write books. And I said, I have nine editors. And he said, can we send it to one of them? <laughs> so, but the idea of, I know what Jenny's strengths are, and that yeah. covers up my weaknesses. Yeah. And, and so I truly believe that it divides my weaknesses and multiplies my strengths. And, and partnership to me is where many couples, I think, don't understand the potential potential that lies within marriage, that this can really be really be a fun aspect of their relationship, sure. not just a cold aspect. And I think, again, it points exactly to God's design, because we look at Genesis, it's the completer. You know, we typically marry people that are somewhat opposite to us, extrovert, marriage, marries an introvert, etc. So it's almost like we come together and we complete each other, and then we got to lean on those strengths of each other. And that's where some of the friction comes in marriage, where we don't. We believe our instincts are better than our hmm. spouses, mm -hmm. so we're going to do it this way. And the spouse knows that's not true. I'm stronger in this than you are, and that creates friction. Some great thoughts from Kevin Thompson about working together as a team. And you know, sometimes it's also good to show your spouse you appreciate them with some meaningful physical touch. Um, it helps to look back at that moment when we fell in love. And I think you recall a special moment with uh, Jenny about your first date in the book. What happened? Yeah. First date memories. I love no, these. That's, that's exactly right. And, and so I was a pastoral ministry major at Oklahoma Baptist University with a, with a minor in psychology. And so I was actually taking a, a family intimacy course at that moment, which is hilarious to look back on now. Yeah. I, I would love to sit back through that now, right? A 20-year-old kid, what, what, yeah, yeah. what did I know, right? I'm sure you could pontificate. <laughs> oh, no, there's, there's no doubt. So, But I remember reading in that class that idea that, generally speaking, a women tend to make the first touch. That that is that tends to happen. I don't Hold know if that's hand, true touch or not. An arm. Yeah, some yeah. kind of touch of some sort, and, and that the man needs to reciprocate that, <laughs> and that there's this kind of intricate dance that's going on that couples aren't really even aware of. That anybody listening who's who's not married currently on their next date they'll notice, right? And so I asked Jenny out. We went out uh, downtown Oklahoma City. We walked around for hours. It, it was beautiful, and I'll never forget. We were we were talking, and I made a joke, and she hit me, kind of just you know just kind of punched me, just very lightly, playfully. And so we kept on walking and suddenly it hit me. Oh, wait, she just touched me. 
I have to touch her back. <laughs> there, there has to be some way it to touch like her back. It was like this mental yes. decision. No, that's exactly right. You touched her back. Class has taught me, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Right. Touch her back. So I just look for just a, a touch on the shoulder, right? Very right. easy. But it's interesting looking back on that, of the power of non-sexual touch mm. and the importance of that and, and how that really goes back. That really kind of goes back to friendship. It really does. That, that idea of touch goes back to friendship. It, it plays into the intimacy, no doubt. But you think about it. I mean, if, if I make a great putt on the golf course, my buddy's going to high-five me, right? If I'm grieving, my, my friends are going to embrace me. And so there is this necessary uh, non-sexual touch that I think if couples would increase, they would then see the intimacy increase. And notice what's happening. If, if you want to be a better lover, generally speaking, how do you do that? Become a better friend and a better partner. That's right. Build the foundation and the walls. I'm not saying it, it goes just that easily, but generally speaking, for the average couple out there that's in a decent marriage and they want it to be just a little bit better, what they need to be thinking about is friendship. I say in the book that skittish is the opposite of sexy, <laughs> right? Skittish, what does that mean? There's no trust. And whenever I think about these roles, friendship is built on this concept of trust. Partnership then is built on the idea of respect. Well, if you have trust and respect, intimacy can be pretty good. But if either of those two aren't present, you're in trouble. All right, Aaron, um, take a shot at it. You're the, mm -hmm. the woman in the room here with us. What are some of the ways that you have found that physical touch can benefit a marriage, either personally or through the many, many couples you counsel with? Yeah, it's so interesting because, yes, I've experienced physical touch and the impact it has. But it's also seeing and hearing about it from couples and reading about it in the research. There's so much profound research out there that says, gosh, the greatest thing you can do when you're stressed or when you're, you know, it's an, an intense season is to be connected with your spouse and, and physically by hugging the hormones that are released in your body. Um, I mean, make all the difference. And I, I feel that. So I know now when I come home and I am stressed, the best thing I can do is walk over, hug my husband, a meaningful hug and a little kiss. And that is going to benefit him and me. Yeah. Yeah. Dina has been kind of stressed uh, of late and I have learned that words don't work. <laughs> They it's just good to know. Don't work. <laughs> but if I walk up to her and I just wrap my arms around her and pull her close and hold her, mm. she kind of melts. Mm. And it's sort of like, thank you. And it's not because there's any, you know, there's, there's nothing more than a hug going on. I'm not going for anything more. I'm not leading her down any physical, you know, sexual intimacy path. I'm just saying, my presence is here. I'm with you, and it seems to really speak to her heart. So, and I like that. That for for me, it's it's all about when when I reach out to take Aaron's hand or a, a fist pump, a high five, whatever that I'm doing. It's all just affirming that we still are are connected. Yeah, that, mm -hmm. that we're friends. And, and that's that's what speaks so loudly to me because I physical affection I, I really do like that but it, it more affirms that yeah you're not alone I'm here with you we're together mm -hmm. and and it can even show me at times how much trouble I'm in yeah so if she won't take my <laughs> hand then yeah. I might need to There's do some repair work yeah. yeah some of the, some of the greatest moments I see in my office are when one spouse is sharing and the other spouse leans over like can't even stop themselves and grabs the other person's hand to provide comfort 
And it's such a beautiful, simple moment of we do that naturally when we're open and, you know, just reaching over and going, hey, I'm here with you and I care that you're hurting. That's such a powerful way to show that no words, just emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and uh, continue on here with part of a conversation that we had with Sharon Janes, who talked about ways that she's learned to show her husband she appreciates him. Uh, You learned a powerful lesson. I love the simplicity of this from your family dog. (laughs) And what did you observe that your dog could do that somehow you were struggling to do? Well, when my son was five years old, we gave him his first dog, um, Ginger, Golden Retriever. Hmm. And it was his pet, but I was the one who took care of it. But (laughs) Ginger loved my husband more than anyone. So she had a very cushy life, chased a few squirrels every now and then. But mainly she would just lie around in the driveway. But it was so amazing, even though she was so lazy, (laughs) at 530 three blocks from my home when my husband would turn the corner to come into the neighborhood she would jump up she had so much energy she would run around in circles and whine she actually would whine like he's coming down the street he's coming he's coming the best part of my day and um, (laughs) then steve would come into the the garage open the door they did this every day open the door she would put her head on his lap and he would rub her head and her tail would whack, whack, whack the, the garage <laughs> wall. And it was just the best part of her day. And I was watching that and I thought, no wonder a dog is called man's best friend. But you know, when God created man and said it is not good for a man to be alone, he did not create a dog. He created a woman with words. And I had to ask myself, do I react to my husband The way that Ginger reacts, shouldn't I be a little bit more excited when he comes home from work? And it's kind of our joke now. Yeah, I bet. I mean, I I, love the analogy. You know, (laughs) know, again, some people, you know, they get offended by that. A woman is not, we're not saying that. You're not saying that. But it's the attitude, right? Right. That's the lesson that you caught was, wow. And then let me ask you, I mean, did that change your behavior? (laughs) You observed this, but how did that translate into your Mm -hmm. life toward your husband, Steve? Well, we actually had a conversation about it. Oh, that was risky. I know, it really is risky for him. (laughs) Risky for you. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of put it on the line. Well, that's true. And sometimes I get home after him. So it's not always him just coming home from work and I'm sitting there eating bonbons, you know, waiting for him. So don't think that. That only happens occasionally. Not all the time. No, because I I work too. So, (laughs) but I said, when you come home, what, what, kind of response would you like you know from me and you know it's very simple just give me a hug don't tell me every bad thing that's happened in the day um not yet not yet give me give me a little time but just give me stop what you're doing and give me a hug that's all he wanted and you know Mm. now when i'm i might be upstairs working writing and i hear him come home and i just stop what i do and go and give him a hug it's not a big deal but that's what he wanted I so appreciate the stories that uh, Sharon had for us. And I I relate. When I walk in and it's chaos, if Dina just stops and looks me in the eye and gives me a hug, I'm good. That's sort of like, I see you. Thank you, O weary warrior, for doing your work and coming back to the abode. We have you now, and uh, and I want to be here with you. If, If she does that, I'm good. I'm good to go. 
another way to bless your spouse is with the words you say, maybe at that uh, time of greeting. Sharon continues and offers four steps for uh, using your words well and really kind of controlling them. Starting with rely on the Holy Spirit. Uh, walk us through those four. Well, the first thing we need to do is to rely on the Holy Spirit. Here's some good news and some bad news. The bad news is Scripture says that all kinds of animals can be tame, but no man can tame the tongue. Yeah, That's bad go. news. Yeah. But the good news is says um, that nothing is impossible with God. So while we, not, we cannot do it on our own, we can rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. The second thing is to examine our hearts. Uh, my country grandmother used to say, what is down in the well will come up in the bucket. You know, Jesus <laughs> so says, true. what is down in the heart um, will come out of the mouth. But we have to examine our hearts. What is in our hearts? And when I say the heart, the Bible uses that word to mean our thoughts, our motives, our feelings, um, our characters, our seat of emotions. And we have to examine what is in my heart. The third thing is we need to renew our minds with the truth. Renew our minds with that acronym we used at the beginning of the broadcast. Is this true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind? We renew our mind with God's truth. Toxic thoughts produce toxic talk or, or toxic words. And here's the thing. We want to change our actions, but you cannot act differently than you think. Hmm. So if you want to change your actions, it starts with the mind. That's why the Bible says it doesn't say change your actions right away. It says change your thoughts by the renewing of your mind. Then your actions will follow. And finally, retrain your reflexes. And this comes with prayer and practice. That's where we're going to put those lists up on the website. So you can have the words to look at and then practice saying them. And I want to say, if you are trying to get a hold of your, your tongue and your words, don't get discouraged and give up if you still blow it. We're going to always blow <laughs> it. True. You know, I love the picture of Jesus cleaning out the temple. He cleaned out the temple in the beginning of his ministry. And then you know what? He cleaned it out again at the end of his ministry. He did it twice. And I think what happens is we clean out the temple. And then, you know, the, all those sheep coming back in didn't happen at once. Here come a few sheep. Here come a few cows. Here comes a little more sacrificing. Here comes a little bit more with the money changer. And it got louder and louder and crazier and crazier. And Jesus had to come back in and clean it out again. Mm. All right, Greg. So following up on what Sharon discussed, how have you used your words to bless Aaron? I, I just think... The, we've been married 30 years in... And there in, should be applause for that. That's yeah. not a small milestone. Congratulations. I, I just think the, the longer I'm married, the more I really understand, Aaron, for you, just just how important it is for me to compliment you. It's, it's, it's not that you fish for a compliment ever, but I feel like it, it says when I notice, you know, maybe a, a new haircut, maybe a new outfit, maybe something, whatever, something you're doing to actually take the time to notice that, to compliment you. Um, there's a way it, it seems like it's a part of how I can continue to see you. And, and I think that's just one of the things that are so important within a marriage is that people want to be seen. You know, there, there's times where to be known, I've got to really dig in and, and ask questions and how are you doing, how are you feeling emotionally, mm -hmm. what's going on in your life, just yeah. kind of keep me updated. And that's being known. But I, I, I think that we 
maybe at times can overlook just this idea of being seen. That's really what I was alluding to just a few minutes yeah, ago when I right. said I walk in, I want her to look at me and acknowledge me and give me a hug. That's I thought it was. I my want idea. to be seen. I guess you oh, did start okay. it You know, off. it's so interesting. Yesterday, our dog um, had surgery, and she totally drugged out. Like the poor dog was so delirious and just like passed out on the floor. And when I walked in, I noticed her tail just started going up and down and i'm telling you talk about being seen because there are times that i am so i'm not drugged out but i am (laughs) just so delirious with stress or with my focus is Mm -hmm. elsewhere and you know greg walks in and just even that little equivalent to a tail wag which would be like you know what a hug or just stopping and giving eye contact or turning towards but then so it's not just the physical aspect it's the choice of doing that but then choosing to speak words of like i'm so glad you're here Mm -hmm. i'm so glad you're home you know it's been a heck of a day and i'm exhausted and you know i can hardly get the little mild tail wag going right now because i'm exhausted (laughs) but there's something even more meaningful when you know your spouse is at that place and they choose to see you and i've been guilty you know i've i've referenced Dina here along the way, I've been guilty of not using the full complement, if you will, of tools in the toolbox. I've I've maybe given her a hug, but not said anything. Mm-hmm. I, you need to do everything you can to say, I really love being around you. I'm glad you're here. There are times she trudges in from a day of running errands or a day of sitting at the computer and, and running an errand. She'll walk in the door and I have to make sure that I don't just like, what's for dinner? Or when are we going to eat? Or, you know, throw some demand at her. I really need to see her, acknowledge her physically and with words. That'll that'll make the tail wag, if you will. And I, <laughs> that's probably a bad analogy, and we should continue on. No, but... I, I love the analogy. I think we should unpack that even more. Okay. No, the truth is that... that <laughs> if you say so. Well, because so, here's my belief okay. about complimenting Erin. I, I truly believe that she will be complimented throughout the day by others. Ah. So the question becomes... Who who do I really want her to be complimented by? I know that there's going to be colleagues, male and female, that that she works with and interacts with who will do that. And if she's starved for that because I'm not offering it at all, then then I I just don't like that idea. Okay. I I had an older gentleman tell me that was one of his tips for marriage is that he does not allow his wife to leave the home without complimenting her because he doesn't want the first compliment that she hears to come from especially another man. Okay. And that, I just think mm-hmm. that that's that's great. I want to keep that in mind. Yeah, I want her to be so tired of being complimented because she hears it from me enough that when others do that, she's like, thank you, but no big deal. It's not because there's a that, that she's empty in that way. This is where the awkward silence occurs because I'm feeling like, oh, yeah, the bar for her, for my wife, would be her girlfriends with her weekly Bible study. I know so they affirm that to each so other. So when she comes mm-hmm. home from there, I better realize that's the standard. Yeah. yeah. And I can't be quiet. I need to go ahead and, right. and really, good really reminder. good advice. Thank you. Yeah. And it's also recognizing, like you're saying, Dina hears that at Bible study. I hear that from my colleagues at work. And I so hear this often, from John Fuller a yeah, lot. Yeah. I'm so often <laughs> as as men, you're not getting those compliments yeah. anywhere. Yeah. Because men don't tend to sit around at Bible study and compliment each other. So <laughs> or any place for that matter, Bible study. <laughs> yes, I I view that as an opportunity yeah. for me to make sure that I'm not only complimenting Greg, but I'm affirming 
him, affirming his character, affirming what I see in him. Like yesterday. His good looks or whatever. Yeah. Whatever you want to <laughs> Yesterday, offer. he helped our daughter yet again move out of what floor does she did she live Fourth. on? Fourth floor apartment. To the 17th I mean, floor. No elevator. <laughs> exhaustion. Yeah. But yet he is committed to our daughter time and time again. Every time she's moved, she's 27, she's moved multiple times, he shows up. And, you know, just to make sure that I affirm that in yeah. him. I know he was exhausted when he got home. And just hearing an affirmation mm-hmm. thank you. Um, is nice. Yeah. It's very nice when you can do it publicly. So thank you both for <laughs> <laughs> doing the shout-outs here on the podcast. So uh, let's move to a, a conversation we had with Gary Thomas. Uh, he was on this podcast a few episodes ago, and he has a terrific book. It's called Cherish. We've got copies here, and you can uh, find the details about getting yours in the show notes. Uh, here's Gary describing what it looks like to cherish your mate. Wayne Williams grew up a Chicago Cubs fan because that was his dad's favorite team. It was his childhood. He and his father would listen to the games as they went throughout the car, driving around town, occasionally visit games, watch them on television. If you know anything about Major League Baseball, you know that for years, being a Chicago Cubs fan was an exercise in frustration and futility. It had been over 100 years since they'd been back to the World Series. But Wayne and his dad made a pledge, as good fans do, when, not if, when the Cubbies made it back to the World Series, they would listen to the games together. Wayne wouldn't have had it any other way. It was just a part of his childhood. He couldn't imagine wanting to experience the World Series without his dad there. So when the Cubs finally made it back in 2016, it was a bittersweet moment for Wayne. It was sweet because the Cubbies are back in the big show. It was bitter because it was going to be very difficult for Wayne to keep that pledge. He now lives in North Carolina. His dad was located all the way in Indiana. But Wayne grew up with the belief if you make a promise, you keep a promise. So he traveled all the way from North Carolina to Indiana. And another thing that made it a little more difficult is that Wayne's dad had actually passed away some years before. But Wayne felt like that pledge still mattered. So he traveled to Indiana, I have a picture here behind me, set up his camp chair on his father's grave, turned on his phone, And Wayne and his father listened to the Cubs win the World Series together. Now, I don't know if that story moves you as much as it moves me, but the thought that a guy would keep his promise in in that sense, we can say, well, it's just a sentimental promise from my childhood, and my dad's not even still alive. It, It doesn't matter. But that he would still feel that his word mattered moves me. And perhaps it moves me because God challenged me with the promise I had made to completely renew my marriage. I thought I'd already had a pretty good marriage. But God reminded me of a pledge I made to my wife over 36 years ago, a pledge probably most of you made if you use traditional vows, and it's this. I promise to love and to cherish until death do us part. And you know what, that's probably the last time I ever thought of the word cherish and never, never entered my mind again. Spoke a lot about love, wrote books talking about love and marriage. And when I would speak on seminars and last session would be on love. And I really believe God said he was doing a new movement where he wanted me to understand what it means to cherish my wife, learn to put it into practice, And then as it works, begin to share it with others. And as we did, even though I said my wife and I felt like we already had a pretty good marriage, doing that 
raising the bar from just love to love and cherish, lifted us to an entirely new level of delight in our relationship. Now, love is still the foundation of marriage. It's sacrifice, service, hanging in there, loyalty, commitment. Every marriage needs that. But cherish, well, so you could call love sort of the bread, the substance of the relationship. Cherish is the jam. It's what makes the bread delicious. And here's what I wondered, I thought that maybe what God was up to, that we don't just define marriages by they made it to 50 years or 60 years, or as Paul Harvey used to say, some of them even 70 years. But they would be qualitative years, not just measuring our marriages by their quantity, but as a Christian church modeling to the world that we seek a particular quality and cherish could be that platform, it could be that bar that we look, that we evaluate ourselves as we seek to raise our marriage. And for me, the big difference is that love focuses me on my obligations. I need to sacrifice, I need to serve, I need to be faithful. Cherish focuses me on the beauty, the excellence, the worth, the wonder of my spouse. And so she doesn't think I'm there just because I made a promise and I'm trying to hold to it, but instead I'm learning to train my mind and my heart to see the wonder of who she is, the wonder that made me want to marry her in the very first place. I think that cherish is essential, not just if you want to give your wife or your husband a special experience or if you want to have a super marriage. I actually think pursuing cherish is essential to not slip back into contempt. And the reason is this, we don't live in a neutral world. As fallen people in a fallen world, we live in a world that assaults our affections for each other on a daily basis. We can have an all-star weekend and then life happens. Shortly after my wife and I became empty nesters, we got to spend a weekend with my youngest daughter. She was back up in Philly, so we traveled from Houston, and we knew it would be a fun weekend. Kelsey's our last born. She's the classic extrovert. It's just a lot of fun to be around her. We knew we'd have a lot of fun. We also knew it would be a meaningful relational time. Those of you who are empty nesters know that when the kids go away, you just, you just love the thought of getting to spend an entire weekend with them. So, so it was a great weekend that was firing on all cylinders. We had a, a fun time the relational time, the romantic time. And I was just determined, since it's one of those all-star weekends, I wanted to take that Philadelphia feeling and bring it back to Houston, right? Just kind of keep that glow. And the challenge was the very next morning, we had the first flight out of Philly back to Houston. It's a concession from my wife. I had a full day of work ahead. And it's not a problem for me to get up early. I, I've, I'm sort of like a farm animal. I, I get up so early, the first number is usually a four when I wake up. My wife is definitely not a morning person, so I'd been up for a couple hours. I'd already had my caffeine, and Lisa was getting up, and I, I wanted to make sure we made it to the plane on time because I believe in boundaries, right? I believe you leave enough time so that if every light is red and you get a flat tire and the plane leaves on time, you're still there, you left boundaries, Unfortunately, my wife doesn't believe in boundaries. My wife believes in divine intervention, right? As long as God knows she really intended to leave on time, she really tried hard, he'll make every light green, he'll hold the plane at the gate, he knows her good intentions. And I, I didn't want to pressure her because 
Well, I'm not clinically OCD. I live in the neighborhood right next door to it. I, I know that can be obnoxious. And I didn't want to lose this Philadelphia feeling. So I, I was trying to be as gentle as I could. Well, honey, you, you think we could leave pretty soon? And she said, uh, uh, taxi's out front. It's like, whoa. I mean, I'm shocked. How did she get up early and order the taxi? It's fantastic. So I just kind of chilled out with my phone and email for five minutes. And she sits up the suitcase and says, all right. You can take the suitcase. Did you call the taxi? I said, no. You said the taxis are out front. She goes, no, I didn't. I said, call the front desk, see if there's a taxi out front. If there's not, have them order one. Now, between you and me, I heard four syllables. Taxis out front. I'm a morning person. She's not. I'd had caffeine. She hadn't. I felt like in a court of law, I would win this marital discussion. But I didn't want to win. I wanted to keep this Philadelphia feeling all the way to Houston. And so we have this silly way of dealing with it that actually can work. We just put our arguments in the third person. So we're walking toward the elevator. And I go to my wife. I said, you know, honey, I, I don't know what it's like in your marriage. Um, but in my marriage, one thing that makes it difficult, if my wife wakes up early and hasn't had her caffeine, I, I get four syllables and I'm supposed to get an encyclopedia of information out of it. And I, I want to please her, but it's just hard for me to do that. He says, yeah, that, that sounds like it would be difficult, but you know, it's not nearly as difficult as what I have in my marriage. <laughs> I said, really? She goes, yeah. I said, I have a husband who doesn't listen to me very carefully, but he thinks he does. And so I give him very clear directions and he doesn't pick them up and then it's all my fault. And I said, yeah, that sounds like it would be more difficult. Which, guys, that's how that exercise always ends. I'm just tipping you off at the start. But here's the thing. If I were to ask you what makes your marriage difficult, nobody in here would have to say, give me 10 minutes so I can think of something. You know immediately because every marriage is difficult. And so wait, some of you are hoping I will call on you and you can tell the entire room what's difficult about being married to the person you're here with because that's all just the reality of marriage. And so cherishing helps us push back against that difficulty to remember why we married our spouse, why we celebrate our spouse in the first place. And is it possible to get there? I truly believe it is because, and this is what I love about focus, we're not here just as psychological principles. The perfect God who cherishes the imperfect us is more than capable of inspiring us, equipping us, and empowering us to cherish our imperfect spouse. Hey, Greg, in the preview episode for the podcast, uh, you read the traditional wedding vows, and I wonder how reflecting on those promises you made in those vows uh, helps you love Aaron in the midst of what I observe to be a really busy life and marriage. I mean, you've both got a lot going on. Yeah, it's a great reminder because it's easy to think about, well, those are things I said now for us 30 years ago. There, there's a great verse in Genesis 2.24, which is often included in most Christian wedding ceremonies. And 
it, it's talking about that that the man is leaving the the mom and dad and cleaving to the wife and they become one. Well, you know, again, that was something that I went, well, we needed to focus on that early on in our marriage. And now we've kind of graduated to bigger, better, more relevant verses. But what's interesting, that the word cleave, a, a deeper meaning means close pursuit. And, and that's an ongoing thing that I really need to be thinking about. In other words, how am I really closely pursuing Aaron in a way that, that she feels there's an active way that, that I'm pursuing her. And I think one of the best ways that I've learned to pursue her is just by asking her questions and having an attitude that I want to keep learning and knowing and growing in my knowledge of what's going on in your life. Because I know Aaron is constantly changing. We enter into different seasons you know, within our marriage. And if I ever for a moment assume that I know what she's thinking, what she's wanting, needing, experiencing. If my attitude is, hey, I know her well enough, 30 years, of course I know her. I, I never have that attitude. My attitude is always, in my own mind, is that there's got to be something new. What, what, what is going on with her? And, and I'm telling you, it's not. In, this is not unique to Aaron. It's not like, well, Aaron is the only person on earth that is constantly changing. There's always something Mm-hmm. Knew that she's thinking about even uh, you were she's driving over here to record these episodes, telling me about a just a brand new opportunity that just presented itself and what that might mean and her excitement and passion. It gave me a chance to go, whoa, what would that be like? And what do you think about this? And and if we have that attitude that one lifetime isn't long enough to get to know our spouse, mm-hmm. boy, it just it keeps us pursuing and rediscovering who they are. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, I just make up things so I can make him think that I'm changing. <laughs> but I don't but, know that's yeah, not I don't true. think uh, <laughs> women actually, have to really work this stuff up. Yeah, that's I the, don't have to make anything yeah. up because things do constantly change for me, for you. I mean, you even think about how we feel throughout a day. That changes constantly. Mm-hmm. We could feel, you know, elated and we can feel totally sad and discouraged all in, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah. So it is, it's just looking at, we have that opportunity to constantly get to know who are we married to in this moment. This is a great place to land. Thank you for being a genuine, authentic couple. You've aired a lot of dirty laundry and you've also shared some great tips on staying connected and strengthening the relationship. And I don't know where you as a listener are at in your journey, but I hope that if you're fairly new in uh, being married, that you're going to think to yourself, oh, we can make 30 years. That'd be awesome. 40 years, 50 years. Uh, This ministry, Focus on the Family, is dedicated to helping you and your spouse make those milestones and to celebrate growing as a couple. And at our website, uh, we have a wealth of resources to help you do that. We have a free marriage assessment. It's one of our most popular resources here. We'll link over to it in the show notes. Uh, It takes just a few minutes. You fill it out. Your spouse fills it out. Gives you something to talk about and ways to grow. And then don't forget about Gary Thomas's book, Cherish, the one word that changes everything in your marriage. We're making that available for a gift of any amount to this ministry. We're listener-supported. Donate as you can. Ask for the book. All the details are in the show notes. Next time, Greg and Aaron will answer a variety of marriage questions. And uh, for now, I'm John Fuller. On behalf of the Smalleys and the entire team here, thanks for joining us for the Focus on the Family Loving Well podcast. 